You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com All right, friends, welcome back to the broadcast. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host and guide for the next one hour, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T Report.com. And I want to thank you all once again for joining us for tonight's broadcast. And tonight we have a conversation lined up with a frequent guest here on the broadcast who I am eager to pick his brain about a very important topic to me, certainly here in Japan, and I think to people around the world as this topic threatens to spill over to other parts of the globe and to bring even the United States into some form of conflict. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the recent tensions between China and Japan, and StratRisks.com has been documenting that, as well as many other geopolitical issues, as I'm sure many of my longtime listeners will be aware. So let's turn to StratRisks.com to see some of the headlines that they're covering on this issue right at the moment. For example, they have this article posted up via MarketWatch. China policymakers may impose sanctions on Japan over island dispute. And this article goes on to note that China could use its position as Japan's largest creditor or other economic leverage if Tokyo doesn't back down in a heated territorial dispute, a senior Chinese Chinese researcher said. Jim Baisong, the deputy director of a policy research unit affiliated with the Chinese Ministry of Commerce, said China could weigh its clout in the Japanese bond market as it seeks to find its way to impose sanctions on Japan in the most effective manner. That's somewhat ominous, I think, for anyone out there who knows how economic sanctions are really the first stepping stone toward greater conflict and are the most effective means of bringing about that conflict. Another worrying headline now posted at stratrisks.com, Chinese Defense Minister, China could take action against Japan over disputed islands. And it notes that uh, China's National Defense Minister warned that Beijing reserves the right to take further action against Japan in the ongoing dispute over uninhabited islands in the East China Sea. Standing next to U.S. Defense Secretary Leon Panetta, General Lang Guangli said Japan could bear, should bear full responsibility for the dispute, which has triggered violent protests in China against the Japanese. So lots of tension ratcheting up in the East China Sea here next to me in Japan, and there's more and more indications that this could spill over into something much more threatening. So we will be going over this and some other geopolitical issues with Michael Vale of StratRisks.com coming up after the first break. But first, let me use this moment to remind people that RBN is currently doing a fundraiser of its own, trying to raise money for some equipment that it needs in order to implement some cost-cutting measures that will hopefully save this network from financial ruin. And they are hoping to raise $40,000 in the next few days for this equipment. So your support is needed to bring this program and other programs like it to you. So let me just give the details on how you can get in touch with RBN. You can mail in your donation to RBN at 2251 Double Creek Drive, Suite 302. That's 2251 Double Creek Drive, number 302, Round Rock, Texas, 78664. Or you can go to republicbroadcasting.org and click on the PayPal donation button. Or finally, you can call 1-800-724-2719. That's 1-800-724-2719 to get your donation in. 
Once again, RBN attempting to install some new equipment that uh, it needs in order to implement some cost-cutting measures here at the network, and your support on that front is greatly appreciated. So any donation, large or small, that you might be able to make towards that task will help to keep my voice and other voices like me on these airwaves. But on that note, let's take a short breather to regroup our thoughts, and we're going to talk to Michael Vale of StratRisks.com. So if you want to play along at home, why don't you bring up StratRisks.com? And in the meantime, I'll be bringing up Michael Vale, and we will be talking to him after this short break. Alright friends, welcome back. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. Once again, I'm your host James Corbett of CorbettReport.com and tonight we're going to be turning the microphone over to our good friend Michael Vale of StratRisks.com and once again for people who haven't uh, t- tuned into StratRisks.com yet, I suggest you do so. There is a ton of news and information coming out on a daily basis from all around the globe. Some of the top headlines right now include self-appointed Future of Europe group bids for foreign policy defense clout. Israel army in largest snap exercise to simulate war scenario. Uh, Israel plans to deploy defense forces to guard Leviathan pipeline. Nicaragua formalizes pullout of school of assassins. Uh, tons and tons of information coming out, as I say, every day from all around the globe. Tonight we're going to be concentrating on the East Asia region where I'm sitting right now. And so let's bring him up on the line. Michael Vale, it's great to have you with us once again. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for uh, for bringing me on the show. It's always uh, good to uh, find people out there that are looking for all the information and looking at the angles and the perspectives and kind of uh, coming to uh, similar conclusions. Uh, it's uh, just a deluge of information daily. It's too much to possibly keep up with, but uh, we're doing our best. Yesterday we were talking to someone in New Zealand. Tomorrow we're going to be talking to someone in Chile. Tonight we're talking to someone who's got his eye on all the corners of the globe, so we're trying to be as international as possible. But, uh, but Oh, you need that. Absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah, there's so much going on, as we say. But let's let's start with what we were uh, talking about there before the break. I was introducing some of these articles that you have posted up on the latest tensions between China and Japan as things really start to ratchet up in the East China Sea. And this is a dispute over some islands, a few islands in the East China Sea that's about halfway between Taiwan and Okinawa. Let's talk a little bit about this island chain and its history and what this dispute is really about it is it is interesting because it has gotten this worse um really originally you know going back to the 1800s no one really cared about these islands whatsoever um you know as as early as you know like 1368 or so during the Ming dynasty um you know, supposedly the Chinese say that, of course, in, in the old writings of, of history going back, you know, they say that uh, the uh, Fujian province was a part of the Senkaku Islands. And uh, but uh, Japan did a little bit of a sort of reconquistador style uh, deal where they took them over when they invaded China. And what this is, no one really cared about it until they found that it had uh, hydrocarbons, a gas, oil, etc., no one was really interested in it at all, and uh, it just escalated and escalated uh, to the point where you know people were bringing warships in, uh, bringing listening posts in. Um, you know they're bringing in the big guns. They're, you know China's drilling to uh, basically occupy these islands. It has gotten so horrible to the point now the U.S. has to step in, but the U.S. is kind of uh, speak with forked tongue because uh, at the same time they say let's talk about this diplomatically. 
they're giving Japan the uh, X-Band uh, missile radar shield. Yes, that's exactly right. That's another factor in all of this that uh, that I haven't talked about yet today, but it is starting to ratchet up tensions. So there's a new X-band radar that's apparently been agreed to go in somewhere in Japan. They haven't figured out where yet, but this is part of a larger missile shield that they're claiming is aimed at North Korea, and they're trying to protect against that North Korean threat. But yeah, I think, no, North Korea. That's what they're really worried about. Right. It's, well, they, it's they, not, made a, they made a they made they made a mutual defense treaty. Uh, with the Philippines. Now, that wasn't talked about all that much. They also gave the Philippines uh, a lot of weaponry in the past few months now. So they, like I said, speak with forked tongue. They say one thing out of the side of the mouth. They say an- another thing. Uh, it's gotten really bad now. You've got Chinese listing posts up all over the islands now. You've got people involved in, in rioting and protests. It is absolutely crazy. And... Um, at this point now, it's not even out of the range of possibility that there can be a conflict coming from it. It It is actually out there. I mean, I don't think it's it's likely to play out that way at this point, but it certainly is ratcheting up tensions and making it more likely that we could see something. And right now, as you say, we are seeing these protests sweeping across China and some type of retaliation protests of a sort uh, in Japan as well. And I'll take the latest from the Japan Times. It has a story up right now. Anti-Japan wave threatens expats on both sides. And it's talking about how not only Japanese businesses in China are now under threat, but now even Chinese businesses in Japan are, are at the very least being boycotted to a large extent. I haven't had the chance to visit the late, the nearest uh, Chinatown to me here in Japan, which would be in Kobe, but it would be interesting to see how uh, how people are staying away from Chinatown these days, perhaps. I don't know, but certainly there's a lot of protests going on on both sides. Uh, what's the what's the latest on the protests? Uh, are they Are they picking up steam? Where do you think they're going from here? It's getting pretty ugly. Um, you know, they really don't, the, the people don't really have a lot invested in those islands. I mean, there's talk of development and, and such as that, but they really don't have, uh, really a much at stake. But to them, it's more of a nationalization issue. Uh, especially when you think about the Chinese, of course, who have been put under the sort of, uh, mold of Mao. You know, basically, you didn't read a book. Unless, uh, Miles people wrote that book that had the propaganda pre-written for you. And, uh, those people have been raised out of the, the Mao thinking, the Mao mind, the Mao mold. And so when, uh, China, able, you know, rattles the saber, of, of course they're gonna get behind it. I think the Japanese are, are probably a, a little bit less interested because they're not as propagandized. I, I would say that that is true to a certain extent. I think Jap- the Japanese just don't care so much about geopolitical issues. And that speaks to a, an ignorance uh, in Japan about Japan's past, because um, I, I think there's a there's a deep hatred uh, of Japanese in a lot of East Asia, including, of course, oh, yes. in China and Korea, because of their imperial past and their unwillingness to face that past. But in Japan, just most people don't aren't taught that history they're not they don't learn about it and they don't think about it so it's uh it's interesting to see the discrepancy between the 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 really vitriolic passion with which china is having these protests versus japan's kind of you could say you could say like uh you could say the rape of nanking uh, when japan invaded china and just massacred people and so that's an that's a sore spot that's been been really kind of raw as of late and they can use that for you know propaganda purposes but it is extremely nasty you know talk of 
Well, China will dump Japan bonds and, and institute sanctions. It's gotten really, really bad. I think what will probably happen, uh, probably I'd say 6% chance of maybe uh, sharing the islands and a 40% chance of a uh, possible conflict. Remember, it was the Philippines initially that uh, really got involved with this. Um, and then, of course, don't forget the Taiwan. And that's another sore spot for the, you know, one China policy. So, uh, a lot at work, a lot at work here and, and, and really stakes are very high. Well, let's go over that threat a little bit more. So the latest threat is that the uh, Chinese could dump some of their Japanese government bonds. Uh, let's tell people why this is important and what kind of threat that is to Japan. Yeah, recently I saw as of uh, last night uh, some of the uh, policymakers and people kind of behind the scenes that work with uh, uh, China said that one possible scenario is they could basically dump all of uh, J- the Japanese bonds. I forget how much the amount is, but it was a huge amount saying that they could economically cripple the Japanese if uh, if it really you know, goes there, if it gets that bad. And to think that they're actually thinking this, you know, China has always used their sort of soft power base to to influence people and to get people to do what they want, you know, kind of uh, uh, think and grow rich kind of uh, style. But now China's kind of taking off the sort of uh, velvet gloves and unleashing the iron fist with the talk of, you know, dumping their bonds and really affecting their economy, a very nasty tactic. Absolutely right. But uh, I'm just taking a look at some of these numbers. So you have the uh, the article up posted from MarketWatch.com about these uh, this threat to j- dump the Japanese government bonds. It, it, it notes that China is Japan's largest creditor, which I found kind of uh, interesting. Yes. And that they're threatening to dump $230 million worth of Japanese government bonds. But compared to that, to the, the, uh, the asset, uh, buying program that the Japanese government has right now, and they've just committed to another 10 trillion yen of, uh, bond and treasury purchases, that's $120 billion that the Japanese government itself is going to be buying up. So compared to that, the $230 million, unless that's a typo and should be $230 billion, but $230 million seems like a drop yeah. in the bucket. Like I said, uh, this is kind of the sort of first salvo, if you will. And to think that they would actually go to those links over those islands. And these are basically untapped, you know, un- really kind of just discovered, you know, uh, hydrocarbons and such in that region. They don't even know the value of those islands, but yet they're fighting over it like children. And uh, sort of, uh, you know, you know, cooler heads are not really prevailing in this situation. Well, from my understanding, the uh, the first estimate that there were reserves there, uh, hydrocarbon reserves, came from a, a, a 1970 or somewhere about their estimate. But as far as I know, none of that has been developed, and they still don't really know how much is there. Yeah, they don't. They don't know because they're situation. really not allowing each other to actually do the work to find out what is exactly there. I mean, it, it could really, it could be nothing. It could be something, uh, you know, in the way of, uh, you know, Central Asia, like Turkmenistan, you know, or the uh, Afghanistan discovery. So they have no idea, but they're bickering over a piece of turf. But real estate is a, a finite thing. And so, oh, I guess they're trying to get all they can get the same way that Europe was buying up all the Greek islands over there. 
Right. And and just to for the, the the just to make it clear for the listeners out there, these are uninhabited islands and uh, there's no one living there, so there's really Wild. nothing nothing invested Wild on either islands. side. But uh yeah, yeah, very interesting and it does raise the possibility that this might be a, a distractionary type of issue in one form or another, and I've heard some different theories proposed on how this might be distractionary. So let's take another short break, but when we come back we'll start talking about some of those theories and the ideas that of what might be underlying this conflict and where things might be going from here. Once again, we're talking to Michael Vale of StratRisks.com, and I suggest you go there and take a look at StratRisks if you haven't yet done so. So let's take a short break. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the program, friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. Tonight we're talking to Michael Vale of StratRisks.com, and we're focusing here on this island dispute between Japan and China and the tensions that are flaring on both sides of the East China Sea over this uninhabited group of islands that was certainly not in the news more than uh, very much a few years ago, but suddenly is becoming a central issue in China-Japanese relations. And it does raise the specter that these island, uh, this island dispute might be part of a distraction trying to get the population of China and or Japan focused on other issues. Well, what kind of distraction could this be? Well, uh, Michael, first let's talk about the idea that I've heard floated that this might be a type of wedge issue that's being, in fact, spurred on by the American presence in the region, and that would fall in line with the very recent announcement of the X-band radar that they're situating here in Japan, which seems to be uh, aimed at China and flaring up tensions and making things even worse. The idea that this might be a type of wedge issue that is uh, that the U.S. is trying to use to keep China and Japan apart since they've started to announce more and more economic cooperation, including trade in local currencies rather than trade in the U.S. dollar. So is this is it possible, at least, that this is a type of distraction that the, the U.S. are trying to use to keep these two countries apart? Well, I would, I would almost say so, um, because, you know, a lot of countries sort of, you know, know really where their direction is, where they're going with, with their, what their doctrine is, what their policy is. And that is pretty sort of set, you know, set in stone almost. And you need something to sort of, you know, jostle them around and maybe make uh, the military industrial complex a lot of money in the meantime. And so you look at the Philippines. Um, they're nowhere a rival to Thailand in any means whatsoever in reality. Uh, but they've been arming them. And so to me, it looks like what's going on uh, with India. It's, it's sort of the same playmaking going on there. In India, you're like, okay, let's, we'll, we'll give you a set of a missile shield for you. We'll give you some, um, multiple warheads for your submarines, this, that, and the other. And you can sort of, you know, like I say, draw a line in the sand and say, you're with us or you're with them. Because India has really, um, almost b- before the Mumbai bombings, you know, they really weren't wor- worried too much about the world of geopolitics. And then after that terror attacks, almost, you know, everything changed. They established their own homeland security and such. And so now they're really at odds with China. They put tank brigades on the border with China. And every now and then they shoot each other, uh, shoot each other at the line of control there. So the U.S. can sort of, uh, you know, benefit from this sort of rivalry. And make it uh, far worse than it really has to be, and especially in that in that region where you talk about now, the U.S. is planning to basically put missile shields all over the earth. These are really almost untested. Uh, there've been a lot of failures in those missile shields and those technologies, and and so maybe they are getting these nations on board for for something, 
and uh, possibly this could it. They, they could come in and be a mediator and say, oh, well, we're here to discuss this. Let's talk, talk about some, you know, diplomacy. Well, Japan, you'll get your, you know, X-band radar. Or you get all of this, this, that, and the other. And this is all for the big pivot towards Central Asia, China, Russia, and look at uh, all the uh, gas and oil going on in Central Asia. It's a big play. It's, uh, it's a big new Brzezinski-esque. It is, isn't it? And we see this, as you say, not just happening here in the East China Sea, but in the South China Sea. We see also in Dagestan and uh, all, all over, really. Indian Ocean, yeah. uh, Malacca Straits. Exactly. It's it's heating up in a number of places at the same time, which seems to suggest that something more is at play here. Well, one of the other takes on this is that this is something that could actually benefit Beijing and Tokyo, as there is a significant economic slowdown happening in both China and Japan. And uh, this is a a nice distraction. It's always good to keep the people rallying around the flag and thinking about uh, nationalist issues when the economy is slowing down. There's been a lot of talk recently about the Chinese economic slowdown, and they've announced some stimulus spending of their own, just as Japan has just recently announced uh, quantitative easing of their own. So, again, this could actually benefit the uh, the governments that are trying to keep uh, their 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 population in check. A little bit of uh, magicians' misdirection, if you will. You know, look over here, pay no attention over there, and uh, that is really done. It kind of reminds me of H.G. Uh, Wells, um, uh, where they, t- they talk about in, in that movie. I forget the name of it. Where they where they have they have a war. A war starts. For the, no reason, they have no idea why, but it continues on to the point they forgot why the war started, you know, and and why it never ended, and why was our liberties taken away, and and China's having real estate issues, they're having all sorts of bubbles being popped up. Japan is really becoming a sort of aged society, um, China society really, um, since they're killing off all the younger people. Uh, they they both have similar problems, you know, with China within the world one child policy, so. It is very much possible that it could be an ultimate distraction, but the military-industrial complex will make some filthy lucre off it regardless. As is, unfortunately, all too often the case. Absolutely. Well, uh, then let's wrap up talking about this island issue. Um, just finally, what are your thoughts on where, where you think this is likely to head in the near future? Uh, concerning, concerning what? The island dispute, specifically. Oh, the island, I would, like, I, I would probably say that uh, they will cut some sort of deal and maybe share the rights if there are any oil or gas in there to begin with. And uh, because uh, they don't want war, they've got their own problems, they got their own deficits. China does not want – I mean Japan does not want to butt heads with China, okay? Uh, the, the elephant has woken up, up since a long time ago. They don't want to go there. And so they'll cut a deal. They're going to have to because if they butt heads, uh, Japan is not going to win that situation. Uh, possibly in the United States, maybe uh, like a, a Georgian situation where the United States will will uh, be cheerleaders for Georgia but step away when when they have no uh, really no bargaining chip with the, like they had with Russia. So uh, I would say a diplomatic issue will take place, probably 60%. Right. 40% they butt. We're going to break. We'll be right oh, back. All right, friends, we're back here on Corbett Report Radio on this Tuesday, sorry, Wednesday night edition of the broadcast, Thursday morning for me here in Japan. And tonight we are talking to Michael Vale of StratRisks.com, and we're talking about matters geopolitical as things really heat up all around the globe in so many different areas. And uh, there's 
as we said at the beginning, there's just too much to keep your eye on on all of it, but we're going to do our best. So, uh, Michael, let's start moving on to some of the other things that are going on. But just before we start moving on to some of the other issues, uh, just there in the break, you were talking about an interesting experience you had there in Florida with the uh, mother of all bombs. Why don't you tell listeners about that? Yeah, I live near Eglin Air Force in Florida. And it is one of the first bases that will get bombed in any war whatsoever because all the military-industrial complex is coalescing here and, uh, you know, just have so many things going on. And uh, one morning, as I went to sleep about 5 a.m., I hear, like, sounds like the doors blew off the house. And so I'm waking up looking for a shotgun, looking, turn on TV, seeing what the hell's going on. And they say they dropped the mother of all bombs. And this is a vacuum bomb. They dropped, like, 15 miles away from me. And vacuum bombs, not sure people are familiar, but it literally sucks all the oxygen uh, out of the atmosphere. It's a, it's a weapon that kills off people but leaves the infrastructure because you need real estate. And uh, so uh, this area is just uh, rife with uh, bombing and, j- and jets flying around. And so uh, I always need a, a quiet place to, uh, to do a show. <laughs> I can imagine so. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Well, I guess just one step below a neutron bomb then. Well, you survived it at any rate, so that's that's always good. Oh, it was it was not a, a good experience. I mean, seriously, when something sucks up, what it does, it sucks up all the oxygen and implodes out, and uh, it just sounds like like everything's shaking, and it's just like the house fell off the foundation. It's that bad. Absolutely crazy. All right. Well, let's let's move, turn our attention. We were talking a bit about Asia and what's happening here. But of course, things are also heating up in the Middle East and in North Africa, once again, with these uh, embassy attacks that are going on there. Let's talk a little bit about this issue, what, where it came from and, and where it's heading. When I first saw it, um, really, the media was spinning this thing about, oh, this documentary came out and it, it made fun of Muslims, all this kind of thing. And that's how they played it up. But at first, they had never even heard of this documentary until the media uh, really sort of did their job here. And what came out of it was that paramilitary people were there uh, day one. You had hired protesters in Egypt. And I think this is what I would try to say is kind of like an October surprise possibly for the Romney campaign where they say, well, Obama can't get it together. And not that I really care about either one. I don't like both, to be honest with you. But uh, this is a bit of a, a bit of a game here they're playing. And they've got Brent Strokroff on the, on the uh, Romney team. And uh, he's an old school geopolitical whiz. And that uh, reminds me of what Nixon did when he got elected. He told the people, the, the leaders in Vietnam, don't do not pass a peace bill until I get into office. And uh, that will, of course lend more, more, basically more force upon the, the, the administration that's in power currently and saying they can't get a peace plan together. It looks bad. And, of course, Nixon comes in. He brings in Kissinger. And uh, to me, Romney seems to be the same way, although I wouldn't say that Romney's nowhere near the kind of politician that uh, Nixon was. But the people he's surrounding himself with uh, seem uh, very much the type of uh, in the corner of Azabinu Brzezinski and others. Well, we know that uh, Romney did his uh, supplication to Israel and has already committed uh, America oh, to, yes. to, to back Israel up no matter what happens. So uh, I think Netanyahu, at any rate, is in Romney's corner. Uh, Romney, Romney is, is so scary, okay? I, I know where Barack Obama is coming from. 
And uh, being a black person, I was nearly lynched for really not being having the hat and the T-shirt and the coffee mug. This is Obama. I wasn't really on, on, t- on team for that, and it was not good for me for a while. But Romney is very scary uh, because, one, really, uh, besides being a corporate raider and really kind of being like in the Bush era where everyone ran his money for him, made money for him while he really did much to do about it, um, the people he's surrounding with is scary, with the idea saying that, oh, well, the capital of Israel is not Jerusalem, and I'll bomb Iran, I'll do this, that, and the other, with him on the finger on the button, is very scary. And the, ne- and the neocons and the war hawks are literally salivating with glee with the possibility of him being there, regardless of if he's a Mormon or not. Unfortunately so, and again, it's a question of you can choose Romney and the neocons or Obama and the, the drone wars and all of the other uh, constitution-destroying policies that he's had, so it's really no choice whatsoever, is it? It's it's a sad it's a sad uh, tale, really. Honestly, when you think about it, those are all the people that we get to pick from, and then most of the laws in in my country in America, you know, uh, really have the the, the left right paradigm locked down to where if you have a third party, you really can't get a, a part of be a part of the process. So it's pretty sad, and so then you don't vote, and then really it just it just gets worse. You know, to me, it'd, it'd be better if we might as well vote on virtual personalities like Max Headroom. <laughs> I laugh, but honestly, honestly, I think it is heading there eventually. And uh, what would I think, be the I difference? I think Max Headroom has more personality than Romney, but that's just my opinion. Headroom for Prez. I wonder who would be his VP. At, At least you could program him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, just take over the programming. All right, well, well, absolutely. I think there is definitely a distractionary issue going on with this embassy attack, and it does seem to me that this has been really hyped up by the media so that I think a lot of people who would never have heard of this documentary have because of the coverage that this has gotten. So what and it's does... a B movie. Exactly. At best, C, yeah, B, best. F. No, absolutely. It's it's a ridiculous situation, and I think it does show some level of contrivance. But where where is this heading? Is there is there some end point to this? Uh, I've looked at a map uh, that came from the Washington Post where they, they saw, like, all these different points on the map. It had to be at least 16, 17 countries where there were protests, where there was violence. So this is very nasty. I think this is kind of a, a destabilization campaign, a, a bit of a, a color revolution style playbook because uh, the people that were responsible for the documentary are tied to the people that were going to burn the Korans and such. And so it's a stir up the Muslim sort of sort of movement here, which is very scary because you can't control the outcome of that. Um, but but also what can come out of that really is chaos. Ultimately. Ultimately, chaos because people have been upset about the drone war and everything else for years, for generations, going back to Lawrence of Arabia. And so you don't want to open up the scab and pour salt on top of the wound and say, there you go. Uh, this thing can get out of hand and, and quick, fast, in a hurry, which may lead to another war. The, France wants to put their own base in Libya. Algeria may be next on the chopping block as far as being attacked. It, it is very nasty. And a, a sort of scenario that uh, may unravel maybe in the play here. Well, this is my take on the whole situation, is that uh, this is exactly what I predicted to come out of the campaign in Libya last year, is the destabilization of the region, including in Egypt and the rise to power of the Muslim Brotherhood there, which brings the Islamic extremists into power, which creates the instability, which then justifies the further military incursion, so that now AFRICOM has it an excuse. It sets the stage for exactly. it all. Exactly, right. 
So, I mean, is this a, is this a, a part of a destabilization plan that that is meant to justify military aggression there? It is almost one hundred percent so. You look at Egypt, okay, the Muslim Brotherhood. In the 1970s, 1980s, the U.S., Jordan, Israel, all allied with the Muslim Brotherhood to destabilize Syria. Of course, they were routed in, thrown out, but look at what's happening today. The same thing is playing out here. And so if things get out of hand, then, of course, we're going to have another kinetic military kinetic action. There's talk of uh, you know a sort of buffer zone with Syria. They're going to be in for that. And so it's kind of, you know, kind of like a, a sort of, uh, you know, you know, playing all your hands here, laying them all, all the cards out on the table. And when you get mass, mass chaos, there's going to be a cry, uh, for a solution. And, uh, according to the Hegelian dialect, the solution will always be something that you don't want. Something that would have been unthinkable without the problem to make it suddenly seem so great. So exactly right. I think this is part of a, a broader strategy. And there's a lot of things playing out in, in combination with that, including some really bizarre things that have happened with Iran recently, including uh, the Canadian uh, just unilaterally completely severing all diplomatic ties with Iran, kicking out the diplomats and closing down their embassy. What was that all about? And from what I've heard, and I honestly don't know, I couldn't tell you like 100% possibly, uh, they said that they had talk of a terrorist attack. I doubt that seriously. Uh, possibly maybe, uh, you know, security, possibly it's just posturing, you know, it's isolation. Let's get everyone away from it. Let's mass in, in the, in the Gulf, uh, in the Straits, you know, let's put on a strong face here. Um, it, it, it's, it's really crazy because when you put that many ships, uh, you know, in, in the Gulf, one thing can go wrong. One thing can happen. One shot can go off and we're in a war already right now. The gas price, oil prices are going up. And so they're they're playing with fire here, and obviously Obama is in a situation where uh, the, the the Hawks want the war. He wants to still be reelected, and they're they're playing the game, and it's a destabilization campaign. Look what happened when they released the tapes of uh, the uh, the military people burning Korans. Uh, they released it. Yes, we're burning Korans. It pissed everyone off, and so I mean. I think to some point, I'm gonna be honest with you here, I think the media throws out a meme here and there. They throw out this little thing to see if it sticks, to see if people play off of it or not, and then they'll let it go. Like, uh, like, uh, when McCain said, well, you know, Al Qaeda's training in Iran. No one believes that. They would tear each other apart. But they'll throw it out there to see if anybody plays off it, if they get more momentum, and then they'll roll with it. And so right now, it's kind of like a, a game of, of Tai Chi, a kind of, you know, a yin and yang, a flow back and forth to see what's going to stick to the wall, what can they use for further war. Now, the Israelis are building new military forces, they're drilling, and so I would probably say early next year it'll probably start, but they don't know what's going to happen from this. They can get way out of hand. It's like, it's really trying to, like, like create a tornado and to, you know, sort of, uh, you know, create something that may not happen and may be way worse in the near future. Look at Libya. You mentioned Libya. The people from Libya left Libya to destabilize Mali and took it over. Isn't that a great example? It is. And you, you uh, raise the analogy of creating this tornado to see if, if something will happen. But, uh, but that actually brings up the very literal interpretation of that, the weather modification that may actually be going on and that we know that they do have the technology for and are still working on. And you have a very interesting post up on Strat Risk right now. Could Iran's enemies really be destroying its rain clouds? Let's talk a little bit about this aspect. 
Yeah, I thought this was very interesting um, because the way I look at what, when Iran speaks, they're speaking uh, almost uh, you know dialectically. They have certain things they say, some things they say for effect, some things they say for the sort of you know inner party members, you know the supreme leader and all those. They're, they're, the way that their government structure is just crazy, and so sometimes they say it because it may be possibly true. You know, we do have weather wars. There was Operation Popeye. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, Operation Popeye, where they flooded the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And then there's the Air Force document owning the weather in 2025. Very possible. They they stabilized the economy. I mean, literally, people are are really begging for food in that region. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. It really isn't. So again, we have this uh, insinuation of, of weather modification that we've also heard coming from uh, senior members of the Russian cabinet and others have talked about this in the past. And it does certainly raise the question of what types of secret weapons technology will the, the next major war be fought with. It you, may not be. Re- oh, do you remember, uh, I think it's called uh, Operation uh, Vegetarian, the project of Operation Vegetarian, where in World War II, they were literally going to bomb the crops of Germany uh, to destabilize the country. Now you look at that and what's going on with the economic situation, and you think if they affect the crop supply, they affect the economy, then Iran may fall, may crumble from within. That's exactly right, and that's the part of warfare that most people don't think about. They think of troops lining up on a battlefield, but so much of what warfare is about is about affecting the supply lines and affecting the ability of that country to function. And if you can affect the crops, if you can get rid of the rain clouds in Iran, then you really do have control over that country in so many ways. And, it's kind uh, of like a deniable operation, you know. It's kind of like well, exactly because you know, no one believes that this technology exists, even though it's been used, as you say, for example, in Operation Popeye. No one believed the CFR existed till the seventies and eighties and nineties. So <laughs> there you go. Exactly right. Yes, and it, it just speaks to the uh, the power of the media in once again shaping so much of public perception, which is all part of this as well. Because the most important battlefield in in I think all of this is the battlefield in the mind. It's about psychological operations and controlling people's perceptions. Um, what's your take on where that is and and how the Pentagon plays into that? Well, I like to use the uh, phrase "sock puppets" because that's what they use. Uh, they admitted that uh, during the Iraq War, all the military leaders that were on Fox, CNN, ABC, they were all paid propagandists. And then you take in the uh, personas software where they literally want to propagandize, propagandize people on social media and social networks and such. Russia now is developing their own software. I think the PR game really plays a lot into it. Honestly, the memes that the media pushes out every day, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, the guy ate someone's face off because of, of, of uh, you know, bath salts, which was a lie, this, that, and the other. There is so much propaganda. I like to say the, the old uh, phrase from William Munzenberg, all news is lies and all propaganda is written to look like news. And uh, basically, I'd say 80% of what people see via television is propaganda. Prepackaged news, B-roll, it is all there. And you got a company like the Rending Group and others that are ready. Do you remember Jessica Lynch? Do you remember the uh, taking down a Saddam statue and putting a U.S. flag? All of that is proven propaganda. 
Exactly right. Run literally by PR companies in the case of the uh, the incubator babies and other such uh, lies that have been used to sell the public on war. It raises the question of what sources sources we can trust. And that was an issue I was yes. talking about recently. What, what's your take on that? And what sort of sources do you look to or not look to when you're putting things on strat risks? You know, honestly, it's it's extremely difficult because I, I look at the who, what, where, when, why, but I also look at the way that other people look at it and what they're hoping to get from it and gain from it and and really, you know, what is propaganda, what is this, historically, you know, what matches up. It's, it's really a lot goes on into it. Uh, but uh, I, w- I would say that, you know, to really sort of read the media – you really have to understand that most of the media is written by basically one company, you know, the writings and news articles, and then they, 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 they push it out to others, other mainstream news articles. You know, look at the, the deal about the bath salts. Everyone talked about the bath salts. No one talked about LSD, anything else, cocaine. It was all bath salts. And for what reason, for what purpose? And so you really have to break that down and scrutinize it. And there's a lot that I won't post from because I'm not interested in being a cheerleader for either side. I'm interested in what's going on, what is to be expected, what is the future, what are they planning, and really what is it they think that I know and what it is they think I don't know, sort of knowns and unknown unknowns, if you will. Exactly right. Well, it's uh, it's really disturbing to me how, how the public is so much uh, fed into these memes and, and propagates them so willingly these days. It really does disturb me how, how people are willing to go along with the, uh, the flow. But let's take another short break. We'll be back to wrap things up with Michael Vale of StratRisks.com right after this. Here we are in the final minutes of tonight's broadcast. Once again, we've been talking to Michael Vale of StratRisks.com. And if you missed that, of course, the, the website will be linked up in the show notes for tonight's episode at CorbettReport.com slash radio. So I hope you'll go there to check out Strat Risks and all of the information that Michael Vale is keeping his eye on in this very rapidly changing world of ours. So, Michael, so much going on. And, of course, we've only scratched the surface of what's going on in so many different parts of the globe. But anything else you'd like to bring up, anything you've got your eye on, anything that you think might uh, might be becoming an important point for uh, listeners to know about in the near future? Well, one thing I've seen is a, a terrible trend of militarization. And what's going on is uh, the U.S. wants a uh, an Arab NATO. They want a Central Asian NATO. And I think that uh, really uh, possibly some nasty things could come from this. Uh, police are militarizing all over the world. And as economies get really bad and as uh, situations get bad, situations unfold like the Arab Spring, if you will, are getting bad, more and more countries are becoming more paranoid and more worried which makes them make movements which makes other countries make movements which also creates war uh i i think from a position where now we're going into the sort of uh bankruptcy deal in a lot of countries and especially states in in, in america municipal bankruptcies you know this is going to get to the point where you're going to have to find ways to hide money the elite have had ways to hide their money. Now that's being found. They're going to have to find new ways to hide their money. Um, I think that we're going into a phase where uh, the politicians can no longer even try to prop up things as they go along, as the QE and things like that. There are boom and bust cycles, and I think that now most countries are over to one, like about 100% 
to their GDP in debt. Uh, it is it is very bad, but it is very good uh, for the regular people. Even though they may be suffering these economic times, they may have more freedom in those times because there's too much for governments to keep their eye on. And uh, so you may have a chance to do what is necessary for you. And uh, even if things go horribly bad, those of you who maybe know what's coming and may may uh, be the sort of weathermans, if you will, um, you'll see what's coming down the road and you'll adjust for it. And honestly, uh, politicians, they can't really adjust for it. Things hit them over the head. They never see it coming. And uh, that's why uh, shows like yours are so great because, uh, as I like to say always, a Latin phrase, uh, pray immunitas, pray monitus. Being forewarned is being forearmed, so you can be ready. Absolutely. I noticed that as the tagline on Strat Risks, and I, I was going to ask you what that meant, but thank you. <laughs> I didn't know that was a Latin phrase. All right, excellent. Well, once again, StratRisks.com is the one-stop shop for all of this information, and once again, forewarned is forearmed, so I hope people are arming themselves for the times ahead, and uh, it's a bleak picture, but there is that chance that we can take the power back into our own hands, and that's what this Absolutely. is all about. So. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. We're fresh out of time, but uh, Michael Vale, StratRisks.com, also BlacklistedNews.com. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, there he goes, Michael Vale, StratRisks.com. I hope people will check that out. And as I say, tomorrow night we're going to be talking to uh, activist Matias Rojas from Chile. So we're going to be heading over to another part of the globe and trying to keep our eye on the South American ball as well. So, so much going on in the world, and I hope that this humble broadcast is able to keep you informed on some of these important issues. On that note, we're going to have to leave it there. Once again, thank you for investing your time in tonight's broadcast. I do appreciate it. And once again, this is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com signing off. But I will see you 23 hours from now, same time, same channel. So until then, thanks for listening and take care. <laughs>